Welcome to the Mere Catholicity Podcast, pursuing ecumenism through theological discussions and dialogues. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Mere Catholicity Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jonah Saller. And before I get into today's episode, I do want to just remind you, as I always do, that the link below will take you to my Locals page, and there you will find a community of mere Catholics, people that are coming together that are striving for a deeper unity, a deeper Catholicity in the faith. You can join for free, click the link, join for free, or you can become a paid supporter and have access to some exclusive stuff, more of that coming very, very soon. And beyond that, you get to join with a community of people that are all striving together towards a deeper Catholicity. So if that's of interest to you, click the link below and become a mere Catholic today. Now that being said, in today's episode, I would like to respond to a semi-private conversation I was having with my friend, the Reverend River Devereaux, uh, recently ordained as a deacon. Um, so I want to be respectful He's clergy now, not that, not that I shouldn't be respectful to lay people too, but he is clergy, so I want to be respectful in the way that I go about this podcast today. But nonetheless, I do want to make a video and just discuss some of the differences. If you know River and you know me, you'll find out very quickly that we have a very different approach to Anglicanism and how we approach theology in general. River tends to be much more on the Reformed side of things, though it wasn't always that way, I'll just point out. And I tend to be on the more Anglo-Catholic side of things, though it wasn't always that way for me either. That being said, our conversations, especially as of late, and they've tended towards this in the past, have largely concerned the question of authority, the question of epistemology. How do we know what we know? How do we know what we know? And subjectivity versus objectivity. Do I make the final judgment when it comes to truth because I have to rely to some extent on my reason? Or is there really something greater that governs me? Or are we all just the same? Do we all have the same level of subjectivity or objectivity within our approaches to theology? So I, I want to talk about this and I want to articulate what I believe to be a more biblical, a more uh, practical, and just a more concise and common sense approach to theology, to the church, to understanding the authority of the church, than I think my friend Deacon River allows for in his theology. So I really, uh, I, I wrote pretty much a manuscript of what I wanted to say in this video, uh, in this podcast rather. So if I'm looking down and basically reading off of it, forgive me. That's why I post these to listen to as well. If you don't want to watch me just read something, feel free to go just listen to this. But that being said, I'm going to read what I wrote as a response to my friend Deacon River. And hopefully it'll not only inspire him to maybe make another video to respond to me, but it'll get us to continue to talk about these kind of important subjects. Because I think... Very easily we can fall into the trap, we can fall into the tendency to just kind of coast in our various traditions, become almost sectarian, not necessarily through our action or speech, but through our complacency. We can just become very content and say, this is my tribe, these are my people, 
I don't need to engage outside of that. And if I can do anything, it's to encourage that we must always be in conversation with one another. We must always be trying to push back and say, hey, if we don't have an agreement here, we need to talk about this until we do. And sometimes pride gets in the way, and I've been guilty of this in the past. And sometimes truth is truly at stake, and both sides are desperately trying to defend it. So I hope today I can make my position known, and if there's any error, oh Lord, sanctify me and help me. I pray that I will not lead anybody into error. So, to start with, epistemology. Basically, this idea of how do we know what we know. The first thing that I want to do is concede... And this is important to the whole premise of the conversation. This is where I think some confusion comes into these conversations concerning the question of how we know what we know. And then once we're there, the logical conclusions of what we presuppose to know. So both River and I, we utilize subjective measures to determine what we believe to be true. I rely on my ability to process information, to evaluate information, and determine, given the information that I have access to, whether or not something is true or false. This kind of subjective endeavor is the same for both River and myself. I want to make that very clear. This is the same. Each individual, and I bolded this so that you guys would hear me say this, each individual at the end of the day must, based on their own personal judgment, determine what they will contend to submit to as true. Okay? Each individual at the end of the day must, based on their own personal judgment, determine what they will contend to submit to as true. Now, River, in it, or Deacon River, or Reverend River, I'd like to continue to use that, in evaluating the data of the Christian faith, he came to the personal and subjective conclusion that the Reformed tradition, emphasizing Scripture as the sole infallible rule of faith, is true. That's where he ended up. In my personal study, I, just as subjectively, concluded that the Anglo-Catholic tradition, emphasizing the primacy of Scripture and the binding nature of the great tradition, forms the basis of truth for the Christian faith. These conclusions and processes used to arrive at these particular conclusions are both equally subjective. And this is true for a Roman Catholic or an Eastern Orthodox Christian as well. It does not matter what your tradition claims. The fact is, is that you concluded that it is true based on a subjective and personal experience, weighing the evidence, weighing the things in front of you as you determined and for some, it might be simply you were born as Eastern Orthodox. You are baptized and you were raised in that. And so that is what you now know to be true. But in either case, it's all based in something that we, at the end of the day, have to make a judgment about. Now, this acknowledgement of subjectivity in this area does not, however, rule out a difference in subjectivity when it comes to the fruit of our epistemological conclusions themselves. Deacon River, for example, is convinced that scripture alone can bind the conscience of a believer, which leads him to conclude certain things about the church, its authority, and the individual's duty towards the church. In an article he wrote, 
and I want to be very clear about the context of this article, and I'll link it below so you can read the entirety so this doesn't seem like I'm just cherry-picking, but I, this really stands out to me. In the article he wrote discussing his rejection of the Seventh Ecumenical Council, uh, this is for the North American Anglican, this is one of the things that he wrote, and this is really kind of the crux of where our difference is and where my accusation of subjectivity comes into play. River writes, If by following the map of the church, the believer finds himself lost and confused or in danger of falling from a cliff, then he must put the map away and create his own path. He must look around him and travel through the terrain as he sees it. Only God's word can make us take a leap of faith, not the words of men, for they are not to be totally trusted. Thus, if a believer's conscience is bound only to Scripture, this necessarily entails that he may, if he feels compelled, stand up to what he thinks is the entire church. This principle is absolutely foundational for Protestantism, and to reject it is to stand outside and against the Reformation. Now, this kind of thinking, in my mind, is, is very deeply linked to kind of a Kantian philosophical approach, emphasizing the complete autonomy of human reason and the reliance on it rather than external authorities, including religious institutions. In fact, this seems to be very much a thought process and a way of approaching questions of epistemology and authority and all of that in a very enlightenment kind of framework. However, more than that, further than that, it seems to me that it turns the Christian faith into an ultimately subjective pursuit, subjective endeavor. I want, I want us to remember, I'm moving away from the idea of epistemology. How do we know what we know? River arrived at a particular set of presuppositions about how we know what we know, subjectively, as did I. Now I'm talking about the conclusion of those things. I'm speaking now of an ecclesiastical subjectivity. Reverend Rivers' conclusions have essentially created the framework for a kind of Christianity with no ultimate, ultimate, and I want to, I want to emphasize that word, ultimate accountability. Now, Deacon River might push back on this by pointing out that he affirms the creeds, the Anglican formularies, the scriptures, even some of the councils, and is therefore actively submissive to authorities that keep him in check. However, given what he has stated above, all of these authorities to which he submits are only submitted to in a very qualified sense, so long as his understanding of the faith is not compromised. If it was, for example, based upon his presuppositions there— there can be no real authority that can bind his conscience beyond his personal interpretation of Scripture. It is at this point he also might push back and argue that I do the same thing with Scripture and the ecumenical councils and the creeds. I submit to them only in a qualified sense because they agree with me. And to an extent, he would be right. But I have already conceded the question of epistemology. Here I am again talking about the objectivity or lack thereof in our presuppositions regarding the church. Deacon Rivers' presuppositions about the church essentially leave him with a worldview, uh, with a with a worldview that sees the church as basically a worldwide network of mystically connected people who do their best to understand the writings of the apostles. 
Some of the creeds and councils have been helpful in this. Some have not. And even with some consensus on some points, variations of the faith still exist and result in different denominations throughout the world. My presupposition, on the other hand, is that the church is ultimately a mystically united body governed by the Holy Scripture and that when speaking ecumenically speaks with the very voice and authority of the Holy Spirit. These declarations from Christ have the power to bind the conscience of the faithful. And to kind of contrast these two views and to show why even though the the arrival at these positions are both subjective, I made a judgment, River made a judgment, even with that being said, I'm going to read his quote, and then I'm going to give a version of his quote reformulated with my theology to show the difference and the contrast between why I'd say his view is more subjective than my view. Again, Deacon River writes, If by following the map of the church the believer finds himself lost and confused or in danger of falling off a cliff, then he must put the map away and create his own path. He must look around him and travel through the terrain as he sees it. Only God's word can make us take a leap of faith, not the words of men, for they are not to be totally trusted. Thus, if a believer's conscience is bound only to scripture, this necessarily entails that he may, if he feels compelled, stand up to what he thinks is the entire church. This principle is absolutely foundational for Protestantism, and to reject it is to stand outside and against the Reformation. End quote. Now here's my version. If by following the map of the church the believer finds himself lost and confused or in danger of falling from a cliff, he must re-examine the map, for he made a wrong turn somewhere along the way. He must look around him and travel through the terrain guided by the unwavering trust in a map. For it is the established protection and exposition of God's word, not the words of mere men, for they are not to be trusted, but the very words of the Holy Spirit. Thus, if a believer's conscience finds himself doubting, he must once again return his gaze to Christ, who abides in his church and who promises to never leave her, forsake her, and to lead her into all truth. This principle is absolutely foundational for Catholicism, and to reject it is to stand outside the Orthodox faith, once for all delivered." End quote. Compare those two things. If I put them side by side, it is simply to make the point that one is clearly more subjective than the other. The processes used to arrive at these two divergent presuppositions are both personal, they're both subjective, and they're both based on our private judgment. But the outcomes and conclusions of these presuppositions about the church offer different levels of objectivity. In Rivers' view, the objectivity of the faith does not extend beyond Scripture. This limits his interpretive grid to what is explicit in Scripture. If anything is implicitly taught in Scripture, he has to make the personal judgment as to whether or not it's clear enough to accept. And this is why he ultimately rejects the Seventh Ecumenical Council. I would argue, of course, that it is taught in Scripture. And he would argue that it isn't. And since he does not grant the Church binding authority... He can reject the council outright with no pushback. In my view, on the other hand, my interpretive and binding grid extends beyond Scripture, which enables me to receive more of what the church says as binding. And while I fully admit this truth for the church is a subjective judgment on my part, it does enable a greater security regarding the faith. 
I accept the ecumenical council, and this is a key distinction. I accept it not primarily because I have done insane amounts of research, but because I trust the church and believe that if it has been received across the majority of Christendom as ecumenical, that is good enough for me and it is reason enough for me to accept it as binding. River has faith in the clarity of Scripture. I have faith in the consistency of the church's teaching on Scripture. Both, once again, are subjective conclusions, but one, if correct, enables a greater level of assurance, corporately speaking, regarding the knowability of truth. And I really, I really don't see a way around that. If you take Scripture and you ask it for clarity, it cannot speak beyond the one reading it. The church, if she needs to, right now, can gather and counsel and speak and clarify scripture. And I would be bound to accept it. In Deacon Rivers' ecclesiology, the church has no real authority to excommunicate because she cannot bind the minds of the faithful. A church may excommunicate, but it hardly means anything beyond the reality that that particular local church has a different interpretation of scripture than the parishioner. A church can't really declare anything as heresy, and even if they do, it cannot bind the minds of the parishioners if they happen to disagree with the church's reading of scripture. The church has no real authority to declare dogma either, and even if they do declare dogma, that quote-unquote dogma cannot bind the conscience of the faithful. It can only inform them of the church's perspective. Thus, the dilemma for River is that not even the Holy Scripture is actually binding because there is no binding authority that has defined the canon. Therefore, Scripture could be the books contained in the Protestant canon, but it could also not be. There's really no verifiable way to know for certain based upon, uh, beyond simply basic historical research and looking into different texts and seeing and weighing the evidence that way. And this is what I mean by when I say that his position is more subjective than mine. I'm not speaking on epistemological grounds, but ecclesiastical grounds. My presuppositions surrounding ecclesiology make better sense of the faith than his. I presuppose that the church has real binding and excommunicating authority. Real binding declarations of both heresy and dogma. Real binding consent regarding the contents of the biblical canon. And if I'm correct, which of course I believe I am, I do have a profoundly more objective framework for the faith than Deacon River does. Now, of course, we have to address the question that he would likely ask me. I've had enough conversations to know that he would ask me this. What is the church, Jonah? You keep talking about this church. What is the church? Is it the Roman Catholic Church? Is it the Eastern Orthodox Church? Something else. I would respond with the words of the Reverend Father E.L. Maskell, who writes this, quote, I would maintain, then, that as a visible reality in the historic order, the church's unity is established in our Lord's institution of the apostolate, which is continued in the universal episcopate. The bishop is the link between the local and the universal church. The diocese gathered round its bishop is thus not merely a part of the church of God, but its full manifestation in a particular place. End quote. The church is the diocese. The church is the bishop. 
And this is why I would say that the creeds and the councils are binding because they have been received by the majority of communions who bear this apostolic mark of having bishops. The Eastern Orthodox, the Roman Catholics, the Anglo-Catholics, and even some others receive all seven of these councils that have been deemed ecumenical. And even if we bring in the question of the Oriental Orthodox and the Assyrian Church of the East rejecting multiple councils, if we just look at the size of these two communions together, they're about 60 million versus just Rome and the Eastern Orthodox who are 1.5 billion put together. The majority report demonstrates which of these councils are to be followed as representing the voice of the church. And for the record, the Assyrians and the Eastern, uh, the Oriental Orthodox, they don't have a problem with the Seventh Ecumenical Council. If you look at any of them, they have images all over the place, venerated images. And in addition to this, even within Anglicanism, all seven councils are slowly becoming normative to affirm in some sense, some capacity. The continuum, all of them affirm all seven ecumenical councils. Forward in faith affirms all seven ecumenical councils. My Missionary Society affirms all seven ecumenical councils. The ACNA is very ecumenical in the subject itself when they say concerning the seven councils of the undivided church, we affirm the teaching of the first four councils and the Christological clarifications of the fifth, sixth, and seventh councils insofar as they are agreeable to Holy Scriptures. Now, some might point to that and say, ah, they'll focus on that last part, as they are agreeable to Holy Scripture. And I'd say, of course, of course. However, they say concerning the seven councils of the undivided church, they recognize that these are the seven councils of the undivided church. And even the Reformed Episcopal Church, at one time the most evangelical Anglican body, you would expect that they wouldn't have nothing to do with Nicaea II. And yet they say, Quote, Nicaea II, the so-called Seventh Ecumenical Council, is disputed in respect to its ecumenicity and application, though in principle its condemnation of iconoclasm is conceded to be orthodox. So even the Reformed Episcopal Church is moving in the direction of recognizing the orthodox nature of the heart of the definition, the heart of the council. And I believe that these are remarkable reliable markers of what we as Catholic Christians are to affirm as true and as what we must bind our consciences to. The bishops, who are in a real sense representatives of the entire church, have in majority come to common mind on the ecumenical status of the seven councils. That is just a fact. If you look at the communions that have bishops and apostolic succession, the majority affirm the seventh ecumenical council. All the Eastern Orthodox, all the Roman Catholics, all the Anglo-Catholics, the Assyrian Church of the East practically does, the, the Oriental Orthodox practically does, and even some of the Anglican bodies that lean more Reformed or lean more Evangelical, they still affirm, to some degree, the Seventh Ecumenical Council. Deacon River would have us believe that a more reliable guide for truth is to read the scripture and determine for ourselves whether these judgments of the councils are biblical, and in so doing, reject that which disagrees with our interpretation. This is what I mean by saying subjective. And he may accuse my processes of subjectivity too, which I grant from an epistemological standpoint. 
But on an ecclesiastical standpoint, my presuppositions do indeed offer a greater level of assurance and security for the believer. The beautiful thing is that this view of the church isn't just my opinion, it has been the opinion of Christians down throughout the ages. Let me read you a few quotes. The first one here is from St. Cyril of Jerusalem, who writes in his work, Catechetical Lectures, The church is called Catholic because it extends over all the world from one end of the earth to the other, and because it teaches universally and completely the doctrines that ought to come to men's knowledge concerning things both visible and invisible, heavenly and earthly, and because it brings into subjection the godliness, the whole race of mankind, governors and governed, learned and unlearned, and because it universally treats and heals the whole class of sins that are committed by body or soul and possesses in itself every form of virtue that is named both in deeds and words and in every kind of spiritual gift. The Catholic Church, this is an institution that can be looked at, that can be seen, that contains all of this, that is its keeper. St. Augustine says in his uh, Against the Letter of Manny, If you should find someone who does not yet believe in the gospel, what would you answer him when he says, I do not believe? Indeed, I would not believe in the gospel myself if the authority of the Catholic Church did not move me to do so, end quote. And then finally, St. Vincent of Lorenz writes, I have often then inquired earnestly and attentively of very many men eminent for sanctity and learning, how and, ha- and by what sure and universal rule I may be able to distinguish the truth of the Catholic faith from the falsehood of heretical pravity. And I have always... And in almost every instance received an answer to this effect, that whether I or anyone else should wish to detect the frauds and avoid the snares of heretics as they rise and continue to sound and complete in the Catholic faith, we must, the Lord helping, fortify our own beliefs in two ways. First, by the authority of the divine law, and then by the tradition of the Catholic Church. But here, someone perhaps will ask, and this is important to the conversation, just as a pause there, But here someone perhaps will ask, since the canon of scripture is complete and sufficient of itself for everything, and more than sufficient, what need is there to join with it the authority of the church's interpretation? For this reason, because owing to the depth of holy scripture, all do not accept in it one in the same sense. But one understands its words in one way, another in another so that it seems to be capable of as many interpretations as there are interpreters. He goes on from here and lists a bunch of different heretics throughout history. And he says, after listing their names, Therefore, it is very necessary on account of so great intricacies of such various error, that the rule for the right understanding of the prophets and apostles should be framed in accordance with the standard of ecclesiastical and Catholic interpretation, Moreover, in the Catholic Church itself, all possible care must be taken that we hold that faith which has been believed everywhere, always by all. For that is truly, and in the strictest sense, Catholic, which as the name itself and the reason of the thing declare, comprehends all universally. End quote. If we fail to judge for ourselves, that the truth of the faith is found in the Catholic Church. A subjective judgment, I'll grant. 
If we fail to grant that, if we fail to grant that the Catholic Church, the faithful dioceses and bishops who hold and teach the universal declarations of the Church's ecumenical councils and creeds, if we fail to affirm that, we open ourselves up to a judgment that leads us down a road of individualism, speculation, and no real accountability. If the Church cannot correct us, if the Church cannot correct us, not in a subjective sense, as River proposes, because as he proposes, the church can correct you, but if you truly disagree with the church, you can just leave and you can find a communion that does agree with you. But then that's not the church. The church is an objective authority that has to be objective in order for truth to be known at all. And it has to be able to say, you're wrong and you need to submit. And we as Christians need to be willing to say, okay. And the fact that I think Deacon River is afraid to do this or afraid of the implications of this show just how much the Enlightenment has really impacted his thinking about authority. It's this radical notion that we shouldn't have to concede anything to authority structures if they go against our conscience. And the reality is, as sinful human beings, you and me, we're not always going to be correct in our judgments. And so I praise God that he has given us not just a church, a group of people that are gathered together that can correct me, because that can happen even in a secular context, but an actual body that is mystically united in such a way to the mind of Christ that it speaks with the mind of Christ, so that if I am wrong in my flesh, if I'm convinced of something but it's wrong, the very mind of Christ can correct me through the church. It is the church that St. Paul calls the pillar and foundation of the truth. It is the church to which Christ gives the keys of the kingdom and tells them that whatever they bind on earth shall be bound um, and whatever is loosed on earth shall be loosed. It is Christ who tells his church and gives his apostles the authority to forgive sins. It is the church to which salvation has been entrusted. And it is to the church that has preserved these things by the power of the Holy Spirit down through the ages. And if we lose that objectivity and we turn the individual into the one who can make final declarative decisions at the expense of the church, then we do descend into subjectivity. And so the confusion in this discussion is River wants to insist that I'm just as subjective as him. And yes, I am. When it comes to the judgments that we have to make regarding where the truth is found. But when it comes to those presuppositions, one can analyze them objectively and say, which one is more objective in its declarations and in its determination of what is truth? And I will concede today, or I will present rather today, that my view, which acknowledges the authority of the church as binding to, in a real sense, is more objective than rivers, which allows for you to ultimately reject what you believe to be the whole church if it interferes with your conscience. This is an unhealthy individualism that will only lead to more of what we're seeing in the world today. If we want to survive and if we want to build back Western culture as a Christian culture, we must return to tradition. That's all I have today. I hope that this has been helpful. Deacon River, if you're watching this, I appreciate your time. I appreciate you. And I hope that you 
feel my respect for you, uh, despite my strong disagreement with you on these issues. And I look forward to perhaps hearing a response from you and maybe having some more back and forth, maybe having you on my podcast to discuss this a little bit more in depth. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, I will talk to you all next time.